All right, welcome to another episode, the fifth one, if I am uh, not mistaken. Yes, very correct. Yes, and today we will be talking about uh, the games, the game development cycles and the pipeline going from the concept to a finished product. Is that right, Mr. Max? Yes, it's very correct. And I'm very excited about this because you've done this uh, for your latest game and uh, you have experience in this. So, And I have a lot of questions about it. So yeah, I think, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think it's going to be very exciting. Uh, I think um, that uh, it might even, uh, hopefully it might help some people just to know how they should get started. If somebody's thinking about starting a game, for example, or creating a game. Yeah, especially uh, the ones that are thinking about how to get started. And yeah. also, I think that there, th this is a skill that needs to be harnessed. Uh, there are so many great ideas out there. But for some reason or another, uh, people stop developing the games. Yeah. And uh, just getting through the project from start to finish can really boost your... your Confidence, yeah. Confidence, thank you. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that maybe it's uh, a lot of people see it as a very hard thing to do. Um, and they might get into into problems where they have to choose which tools to use and they don't really know where to start. And maybe some people don't have any programming background or technical background, but they still want to do a game um and and so on and so forth so i think that there might be some hurdles there to pass but hopefully we can guide some some people that are interested in started uh, starting to create their games yeah yeah exactly so yeah um nowadays as i said in a previous episode i am starting from scratch with this new game uh, that is basically taking the uh, concepts of I mean the characters and the assets from the previous game and molding it into an into a new game. And what I've done this time is I've started with a concept, right? Yeah. Yeah. We talked about and, this uh after our previous episode. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and in in this in this case, what I want to do is I want to go into the nits and bolts of how my process is uh just getting a concept. Yeah. Uh, created yeah um so the game that i'm creating right now is a is a platformer roguelike ish kind of a game where you are a character like any other game basically <laughs> uh you go through the levels you're the uh the king of a previous you're a previous king of the kingdom which has been destroyed by humanity and their uh, their attempt to eradicate uh, evil from the world instead of re eradicating it they basically destroy the world and the king is basically uh getting resurrected into this world where everything is about to get destroyed and his quest to regain power uh, with his newfound abilities thanks to a crystal mm -hmm. yeah uh, and so that is the premise of the game and what i've done so far is i've i've had the the theme of the game uh, predefined, and I, I want to create a game where time is really something that you need to be able to handle, and not only ta time as a as a skill or just a timer that goes up from 
say 300 seconds until zero, but something that you can do with it. Uh, one of the things that I do with my characters is that you can rewind time and replay uh, the same, uh, a small part of the game. So you can run forward, do something, hit an enemy or whatever, and you uh, turn the clock backwards, uh, mm -hmm. say 30 seconds. Now I'm, I'm trying to get that perfect value. What is a perfect value for, for the uh, rewind feature? Is it supposed to be 30 seconds? Is it supposed to be 15 seconds? Uh, maybe even just five? And if you are rewinding the, the game, what would you do when the character goes forward? Well, in my case, I, uh, I spawn a new character. So whatever you did during that rewind session there, that character uh, basically plays back the things that you did. Mm -hmm. uh, what happens if you go back once again? Do you want the character to be producing a new character? So you have three characters on the level? Or do you just eradicate the, or erase the previous character that you had? The previous timeline, mm -hmm. and so there are a couple of concepts that I'm that I'm playing around with in in terms of game mechanics and whatever uh, would give a the game a unique touch. Yeah, and and also because you also went back and learned from some previous mistakes that that you did, and actually created a universe around this, a world around your characters where they are existing, and the game is taking place in a certain time in this universe then yeah exactly uh so even in the previous game that i, that I created uh which is now cancelled uh, officially uh i already had created the universe that you were talking about okay and the universe um itself is the the story basically uh that i just described in the in the beginning there yeah and but instead of having it from the point of view of one character the story or the universe uh, is created through a main storyline yeah. and these small character these impactful characters within the story are what you're playing in as in this game in the new one yeah and, and this one is set just after a huge uh, a huge event was just set into motion yeah so and and let's talk a bit about um why is it important to create a universe so, so what are the benefits of actually creating a universe? Because, you know, people might have a great idea and they want to create a game and they're just going to start creating that game. They want to create, I don't know, an RPG game, FPS game, whatever. Um, but um, what, are, what are the benefits of actually having a universe uh, around yeah. your game? Um, from my point of view, there are a couple of reasons why, as to why you want to have a, a couple of, uh, well, a universe. Uh, first of all, it is one of the things that really gets you into a, a restricted space. And whenever you're restricted by something, you get more creative and find find solutions to problems you didn't know that you had uh, hmm. if you didn't have the universe around or the, this restricted space. Um, say that you want to create a game that is basically a tic-tac-toe or uh, four in a row. Mm -hmm. Having just that game gives you uh, already something that you can just uh, focus around. And if it's just one basic mechanic, uh, then that's all the better. But what happens if you cancel the game? Or what happens if you lose motivation, motivation and the game just doesn't pro progress in terms of uh, 
motivation for you as a developer or uh, progress in the terms of development cycles. Yeah, yeah. Because when you go to a, to a publisher, you really need to pinpoint what is the what is the unique thing about your game. And having a storyline may not be unique in in of itself, but having a universe where you can pinpoint and say, "This is where my where my story starts." That that gets the the thought process of a of a publisher going. And you know, we people, uh, every human being is a is a person of story. It is he or she is really the the sum of all the stories that they that they've gone through. Yeah. Every experience in and of itself can be a story and can become a game. And by telling the game from one perspective, that's one way to to sell the game into a publisher. So yeah. that is also one of the reasons why you won't have a, a universe. But also for for me as as a as a player uh, or as a game developer rather I really want to create a franchise and having a franchise first approach basically means that you, you gain the, the bonus of creating a brand. And when you have, when you have players playing your game, they realize that, Hey, okay, the next game within this franchise is going to be awesome because the first one is awesome. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you get the brand recognition thing as well, as well as community. Uh, you shouldn't you shouldn't underestimate the the power of a community in the in in the gaming development uh, stage, because if you have a, if you have a universe where you are open with it and people know what the what the game is about, they can fantasize themselves about characters. What happened in this place? Uh, whenever you see uh, I don't know a poster within a game, there there are some people who actually explore the uh, the game and see that hey this poster shows an explosion somewhere and then all of a sudden their fantasy starts to uh, take root and yeah. their ideas start to grow and they create these side stories and things that can just be applied to the game as the franchise progresses yeah yeah and so these are just these are just some of the things that I think that game uh, having a, a universe in place gives you a small edge yeah so so um it's uh franchise as you said it's also community as you as you said and then uh, the restricted space is also something that um will make it easier because we talked about this last week as well that um it it makes it easier to make certain design design decisions as well just because you know that well okay in my universe this is how things work and when you have to come to a certain design decision within your game, okay, what should this character or what what should this situation be like? Then then it's very easy to just go back because you have a strong foundation in your universe, and you just go back and and you can say, oh, okay, in my universe this should happen. Uh, so you can make certain design decisions. And I think we also talked about um, characters, uh, if it's an RPG game, let's say, or characters overall, actually. Um, that they get more depth and more sense of belonging and meaning and and things like exactly. that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so they they become much more believable for for the gamer uh, as exactly. as actual and also characters. Exactly. I mean, yeah. some games really are really good at 
creating this this emotion of belonging for the player and the sense of empathy for the player the the, the character that you're playing or a side character or an evil uh, character uh, because of their depth yeah yeah exactly and and I mean, also it's it's uh it's a big part of immersion that uh to immerse the player to be emotionally attached to certain characters or uh, the story maybe or all those things they they immerse the player in the game when they when they when they get to that stage that they can relate to the character as you, uh, as you said exactly and i mean it's even gone that far as to uh, as the the voice artists of uh, one of the characters gets threats because those the character did something weird or bad in the game <laughs> and it's not really i mean it's not really the voice actor's fault right but yeah, still yeah. they get the uh, they get the <laughs> the issues that come with it uh, i know there there's been a lot of talk about the uh, i don't know what what the voice actor is called but the the main character of the game the last of us 2 mm-hmm. uh, ellie i think she's called maybe um, yeah sounds familiar yeah <laughs> she does something in the game uh i don't want to spoil for anyone but anyway uh the voice actor gets a lot of threats because of the action that the the, the character in the game did and through the first game the what you what you as a player did was you played as ellie um i think you played as joel as well i can't really remember it was a couple of years ago yeah um, i think and you so, get really but... emotionally attached to to the, to the story because in the beginning Joel doesn't really want to take the job as uh, escorting this small uh, small child uh, through the lands where all these clickers that they're called it's basically zombies uh, and throughout the game you get to see how that their relation goes from being she's just a product just uh, another mission for him to becoming something that he res- he he sees her as some sort of a daughter daughter for himself yeah yeah yeah. so yeah yeah getting emotionally attached to people is really it's an effective way to get people pissed (laughs) yeah and and while it's of course we don't condone any acts of you know threatening other person's lives or threatening to harm them in any uh, in any way um you must somehow feel like well mission accomplished because these guys really care about the character enough to take action or do something in real life then yeah. then it's like the immersion step is kind of complete there they they achieved that immersion <laughs> quite quite brainwashed <laughs> yeah yeah something like that and like you said like these clickers that's the result of creating a universe well wh- what do we call these things what happened to the world um so exactly yeah it's it's like then you can you can come up with names that are specific to your franchise uh a specific very specific and unique to your game so that that also creates this you know believability of the actual gaming game universe that you're playing in um, yeah, exactly i mean there is a story out there uh, for anyone who wants to grab it just grab it yeah exactly yeah that's uh and i think that we can't stress this enough but before people actually start to you know get into the game mechanics and all that they should just sit down for a while and and create their universe and see well where is this taking place what types of characters do i want you know and and create a larger timeline i guess 
Yeah, but it doesn't have to be a game where you have any characters at all. I mean, think sure. in terms of Candy Crush. Candy Crush doesn't have any characters, right? No. But it's but there's still a story out there. Why do you crush the why do you crush the the the, uh, the candies? Why is there a bubble witch uh, saga? What why is there uh, I mean there are a lot of games that King has created which are basically the same uh, same play same game uh, with a different flavor but all, it's all the same. Yeah. There's a different there's a different story to be told throughout the game that yeah. you're playing and having a story set gives you basically uh, not not only the restricted place but also gives you indication as to how you want to form the levels yeah. where how is the level supposed to be uh, look uh, watched or played or what what is the what is the essence of the of the of the character of the game of the game mechanic and yeah all the things that we just talked about yeah 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 as you said it's it's not restricted to any rpg games or games where you have you know physical characters in any way it can be a simple like candy crush what is that a puzzle game right or what yeah, it's do you, a puzzle game, yeah. yeah it can be a puzzle game or anything like that maybe the universe doesn't have to be as intricate or as complicated as an rpg game but it still needs to be there it needs to be a substance there um, yeah i mean it, it gives the player a sense of believability uh the game the game uh, a sense of believability i mean why would you say you had a you have a game that is basically 10 uh 10 level long just a super small game right yeah, yeah. Game. and you have a game uh, and every level basically is the same game mechanic uh solving a puzzle or whatever but you switch the assets for some reason between levels so instead of having candies all of a sudden you have stones all of a sudden you have wooden are no pillars mm, and yeah. it, sure it's interesting from level to level in terms of the puzzle mechanic but as a player do you really get invested in the game if you don't have that uh coherency yeah. in place yeah exactly yeah so so basically the game universe gives the foundation for your game and, yeah exactly and without the foundation it's going to be very hard to have continuity in the game as well because why do you it's like why do my characters do all these things if i don't or whatever why do i play this game through if i don't have any continuity in it and yeah. uh it's it's uh, as as i said before as well it's it's gonna make design decisions much easier uh, much easier yeah and there i mean there are three different there's a model out there that is i can't remember the name because i'm the worst guy remembering names <laughs> uh, <laughs> but there's a model out there that basically is, uh, has three parts there's a game mechanics there is the game style basically the, yeah. the art style and such mm -hmm. uh and there is the, the the game dynamics what happens when the mechanics uh interact with each other mm -hmm. but they also interact with the environment right so you have an you have say wall jumping but yeah. all of a sudden you have you have these waterfalls in some places where or there's a there's a small slippery uh rock somewhere 
uh, and the slippery ones you can't actually do a wall jump for from because they're slippery. So there is that kind of d- dynamic out there. Yeah, uh, yeah. And that that model is something that I basically take uh, into consideration every time I just develop a new game. That what what are the what is the the essential game mechanic that I wanna uh, that I wanna focus on? What is the, what is the essential essential art piece or uh, visuals visual? It's really called something else, but let's just focus on. Let's just say that there is a visual representation of whatever you're doing, mm-hmm. um, and also the the game the game dynamics. What how do they interact with each other? What okay, systems so, do you have, etc. So so you create your universe, and then step two is focusing on these things. Then on exactly yeah okay yeah that's that's a good that's a good way of uh, of progressing forward so so first first thing is you create your foundation second thing is game mechanics what what actual type of game do you want because it can be uh, many type types of genres of of games uh and then what graphical style do you want because you can have more clean more cartoonish pixel graphic or whatever it can be 2d yeah, there 3D. Are a lot of different, yeah exactly aesthetics was the name that I was looking for oh yeah 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 so it's called the mda framework uh mechanics dynamics and aesthetics yeah okay that's cool yeah. that's very good to know so so uh uh for for people listening mda framework just remember that and and uh you can you can i guess you can google it right or uh, yeah you can it's a really prevalent game uh design kind of model uh I don't know how many people actually use it, how many studios, but in some way or another, you can break down any game into those three parts. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I guess that even though um, they don't explicitly know or use the, the the actual exact name of the method, they they are going through the same process for each and every game, I would guess. Um, because it's like every every game has to be graphical in some way i mean even if it's 2d or whatever the the player needs yeah, to see something text based i mean exactly you can have yeah dos windows you know the old school where you <laughs> yeah. just have a terminal <laughs> yeah. and it was really just a basic text based uh, game yeah yeah it's still it's still one way one kind of an aesthetic yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's that's a design choice nowadays. I mean, it's before they were of course forced to do that because there wasn't any actual graphics to talk of. Uh, now it's a design choice more or less. So you you get that choice, uh, and if you want to create this type of more old school type games, then you can do that. But yeah. I, I think that even the big studios have to do that because I'm I'm thinking every game. That isn't, of course, if it's a franchise, then probably you'd like to continue in, in the same style. Um, not necessarily. It depends on how much you want to change between your... But if it's like, for example, Uncharted, I, their style kind of remains the same between the games. Um, otherwise, you know, it would be yeah, a bit weird. I think it was more cartoonish in the beginning. I think it was more stylized than it is today. Nowadays, it's just uh, it's a really realistic looking game. But in okay. the beginning, I think the first one uh, was more of a stylized look. Well, it was semi, semi realistic. Let's just go with that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I haven't, 
I have to be honest, I haven't played any. I, I played the first game, but I, I didn't play the what are they up to? Four games? I think four? it's four, yeah. Yeah. I, and then I, you have the, uh, there's another one, which was like a side story after the, uh, the fourth. Yeah, okay. And there was one for the PS Vita as well, because um, let me think now. Isn't Uncharted a PlayStation exclusive title? Or? Uh, could be. Yeah, uh, I think it was. Yeah, I think it is, uh, because they're. Uh, yeah, I think it is. Now take this with a grain of salt, you people listening, uh, but I think it is exclusive. Yeah, yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure. I, I had that kind of in mind that it was exclusive, but anyway, I mean, they they still have kind of the same style, but but um, it's it's still recognizable characters and all that um and yeah and, and also recognizable mechanics uh you basically yeah. have the same mechanics uh you have the basic uh combat style as well the same one throughout the games sure it is probably more polished as uh the, the longer you go but still um yeah it's basically the same we have to remember that i mean consoles have gone a long way uh, as well so they can do yeah, different exactly. things and, and graphics are better uh, and I'm sure they thought of the uh, the, the fourth game uh, the mechanics that they implemented there they probably thought of uh, already in the first game but because of time constraints or budget constraints or uh, the console hardware constraints they didn't go with it so yeah yeah yeah, but they, they, it's like you say, because they built this universe, they do have the, the real backbone and foundation for it. And then they can just, you know, you can say, well, the fourth game, I want this to happen. It's very exactly. easy once you have that set up, because you can say, well, I want a franchise of this. And in the first game, it's going to take place in this timeline. And in the second game, it can be this other timeline. If you want to separate them by a, by a big margin, you can. I mean, it's, it's not impossible because you can in your universe you can create a very large timeline you can it can be thousands of years and you can imagine you know a lot of things happening and then you can you can just have games taking yeah, place I think at, Zelda the newest one is basically a thousand years in the future uh, yeah because Link sleeps for I don't know how many years right or isn't yeah is he awakened at the beginning I can't remember I don't know uh, <laughs> I have, I played that game for like a couple of hours because of some mechanical some mechanics, the things that I don't really like. Yeah, but, that yeah. we talked about in the last episode as well. Exactly. <laughs> we don't have to go into, into that again. Yeah, that's true. Uh, <laughs> okay, so but yeah, so that's the NDA framework. That's the thing that I'm looking that I'm doing as I am concepting. Yeah. Okay. So so once you've done that, what's the next step? What where do you've done that? You've basically recreated the the game, right? You do have all the places, all the things in place. You do have the mechanics in place. You do have the dynamics in place, and you do have the aesthetics in place. When um, you do, when you have that, then you basically have a finished, uh, a finished product. Well, it doesn't really mean finished in the sense that you can go on and play through a couple of levels. You basically have the concept in place, yeah. which means you have a character. You have, uh, well, in my case, it is a character. You have a level. Um, you do have the different kinds of mechanics and dynamics that cooperate or work against each other in place and i start to think of okay so now i have some enemies that i need to implement and in the end of my in the end of my level i need a boss i need to have a mini boss somewhere and i'm thinking in terms of difficulty 
and difficulty levels uh, and the player progression. How yeah. is the player supposed to be? How does this reflect on the skill level of a character of a player? So you have the NBA framework in place, you have the the, the level and all the things, but how do you actually go about to create the level such that the player is always engaged within the, uh, with the game? Now yeah. you could do this in multiple ways. You could do this by having a dialogue systems uh, somewhere. You can have uh, places where you need to talk to people, get to know the storyline, get to know the uh, the different kinds of places you can go to. Uh, why can't you uh, open this door? Well, you don't have this uh, you don't have this weapon yet. Okay, so the player knows. Okay, I'm supposed to find this weapon, and all of a sudden you get the player to take another path through the level. And right. all of those things are things that come up after the MDA framework has been implemented. Okay, okay. But during the MDA thing, you do implementation as well? Yeah, I do implementation from the very beginning. Uh, and basically, I want to know, is this possible to do? Yeah. So uh, in, my, in my game where I create some, uh, a basic mechanic, uh, with time, I really want to know: Can I play the how? How do I go about to create time, the sense of time within the game? And in in my case, you you can scrub the the, the timeline backwards and forwards. And what happens when you scrub it forwards? Just like I described previously, do you create a new character? Do you create so? Where is where does it end? Can yeah. you create an army out of yourself? That would be a cool mechanic. But does this actually reflect the the actual storyline that I want to create. Does this yeah. uh, add to the difficulty or does this remove from the difficulty level of the game and etc. Yeah. So you always have to go back and revise. That is why I do implementation really early on just to see is this possible and what are the implications of this mechanic. Now, that being said, I don't really, uh, when I implement those things, the, the code that I write is basically thrown away because I just, I just do it quick and dirty. Does it work? Yeah. Is this fun? So and then, what is fun? Yeah. So so then so then you have really really short feedback loops to yourself, basically, where you find a concept, you try it out. Is it feasible or not? Throw it away uh, exactly. if it's not, or just keep it as a future reference. You know that it's possible, and like you said, because you just do it quick and dirty, you just want to know if it's feasible if it's if it's fun for the player or if it's uh, engaging and stuff like that and then you just ticked up off your list so it's like okay so in my in my concept i have like you said playing with time is it feasible let's try it out if it's not then just throw it away we have to do something else exactly and one of the things that why this is so good to do and really early on is you are not attached to the to the code it's not really your baby yet. Uh, one of the problems that I see many developers do is that they they go about and create this really cool looking game, really optimized code, and then all of a sudden they see, oh crap, this doesn't work. Oh man, I need to remove this part here, and then I need to remove this part here because, well, that doesn't that isn't needed anymore because we just removed that part. So they get pretty demotivated because because of this and many times they either left leave people things in place which is pretty bad if you if you if it doesn't add to the game 
it actually hurts the game. Yeah. Um, so you you need to have this mindset that you're going into this phase of the game development cycle where you're really supposed to just try it out, throw it away, try it out, throw it away. Yeah. In my yeah. previous game, uh, the one that I ended up canceling, I did this. Um, first, it was a, a game jam game, right? Done in. We actually did it together, you and me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was the same. It was basically the same concept, uh, where you're supposed to transfer souls between uh, two different teams. Yeah. Uh, so it was a tug of war kind of game. Uh, but what what happened there was, um, we created this game in in 48 hours, and then we threw it away. Then I took the concept, added to it, went through this MDA framework, uh, created a new game in three weeks. And I thought, hey, this could actually be pretty fun. I used assets, free assets from the from the asset store in Unity. I uh, used uh, sound assets from whatever resource I used. I can't really remember. Uh, I used uh, really simple scripts just to basically lay out the AI, etc. And I found that, hey, this actually works and it's really fun. So then those three weeks were basically just thrown away. And I started out from scratch again. Yeah, and yeah. that's when I really went into okay. Now I want the I want to nail the aesthetics of the game. This is what they're supposed to look like, and I wanted to nail the AI of the game. This is how the the minions are supposed to be working or thinking, and these are, these are mechanics that you as a player are supposed to be working with. Yeah, and yeah, you show it off to to developers. I mean, to publishers. Um, now, one of the reasons why I didn't, why I ended up canceling the game was I focused on local co-op only. And publishers really have a hard time selling uh, couch co-op games nowadays. Yeah, they really true. want to have uh, online. And since I was a solo developer for the game, I really didn't want to go through the, the efforts of putting in an infrastructure in place where you had to have matchmaking, uh, Anti uh, anti cheats, um, and yeah, whatever. Yeah, it's All a lot of, of work to put those things in place. Yeah, yeah, it's, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And you, I mean, if you have two two players playing on the uh, completely different places in the world, you have lag issues, right? And how is your AI supposed to be handling uh, lag issues? And yeah. you need to think of server infrastructure and performance etc and that was i mean if it was a solo developer i really didn't want to go through all of that yeah so that was the reason for it and i ended up canceling the game because well no publishers really interested in this and i can't really see a market for it either yeah after... online is yeah. i mean it's it's like uh, for pvp games it's a must nowadays and if you're a yeah, solo exactly. developer it's it's very hard to put this infrastructure in place unless the publisher is willing to pay for it of course there are I mean, there are a lot of there are a lot of publishers out there that that said, "Hey, my game should be a lot larger. You should put more more hours into it." Uh, and yeah. I was thinking about doing it, but on the other hand, then I need to go back to the drawing board again and basically throw away my 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 concept and start off from from the beginning again. Yeah. And you know, after going through uh, all of that, I learned a lot. But I ended up saying, okay, let's just cancel this and go through the second game instead and do yeah. uh, do what I'm doing right now. Yeah, well, I mean, that's that's a very, very good lesson for, for people that are going to start developer. There are two things there that 
I want to focus on and the thing the thing you said with you know um throwing away code and and not investing too much time in it and, and all that that's a very important thing in programming we have a term called kill your darlings because um once you write this awesome code that really maybe doesn't really work and stuff but you're very invested in it um and then and then you just want to fix that code because you've written so much of it you've spent so many time so, so much time on it and you can't really fix it because there might be you know architectural flaws in the overall design of of your software this goes for any software um, you have to be unafraid to say well this doesn't work i have to throw it away um but that it's very good to not spend too much time on certain concepts so you have to be not not be afraid to kill your darlings that's one and and in gaming it becomes even more important i guess because um you can be really invested in a concept so you make up this very good concept that in your mind is very very nice and then you buy a lot of assets from the unity store let's say you're using unity you either buy a lot of assets or you outsource to a lot of studios and then you're very very invested in this concept to only you know later on get to a point where it's like well wait a minute this doesn't work and then you've invested both your own money and a lot of your own time on a concept that really doesn't work um so that's why it's it's very very important this i think is a very very good tip um to have these shorter feedback loops to see if if these different parts work uh, of your mechanic and of your concept and and, and all that I think that's uh, that's very very important. Um, yeah, and and you said something there. Um, I mean, there are some people out there that really just want to create one game, right? And they have this dream project. They played, say, Mario Kart, and they found that ha, the balancing is really bad, or the AI is really bad. I want I can create this, but better, say. And they invest a lot of time in it, and they uh, invest a lot of money and such. But then they just find out that there is no one who wants to uh, give you money for it or it's not going to sell because why would they play your game uh, when they can play Mario Kart, yeah. for instance. And that is, just to hear that is really demotivating for many people. And either they are, uh, there are three kinds of people. Those who say, no, I don't agree with whatever you're saying and your opinion is just stupid. Uh, <laughs> so yeah. I'm just going to create my own game anyway. And sure, if it's if it's a dream project of yours and you want to just create one game, sure, no problem. Is it just a hobby project? Go for it. You have you have another job. This is just something you, that you've done on the side. Go with it. Uh, but if it's a game that you, uh, if it's a company or something that you want to do as a full time developer, and you want to have an income while you're developing this, you need to listen to the publisher. Maybe yeah. not the first one, or maybe not the second one, or the fortieth one, but you need to listen to the feedback that they give you. And many times they say that, "Oh, this looks really good, but it's not really for us." Then you've first of all you contacted the wrong publisher. Do your research, people. Um, but the they they are their feedback is basically saying to you, you need to rethink your your project. So even if it's in just in the concepting stage. Just reach out to publishers and say, "Hey, this is my this is my idea. Would this work for you?" 
and then maybe uh, they're saying, yeah, sure, sounds like a cool thing, but we need to have a playbook. Can you send us one? All right, no problem. Just develop the, the game that you, that you want to create and send them. As soon as you have something that you can show, even if it's, it has like the worst aesthetics ever, if you have the, the dynamics and the mechanics in place and you have an idea as, as to how it's supposed to work uh, in terms of level design, etc., send them the uh, the sample of your game because if you get if you get uh one of the all it takes is just one publisher just one publisher who says that yeah sure we can invest in that you have your full-time job in in game development yeah uh, so that was one of the one of the uh, uh types of people the second type of people is the uh is the 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 ones that create the game and they are really invested in it and the developer says no uh, this is not for us, and they basically just oh crap, and throw it away, and or ask the the the, the publisher, hey, okay, what's the problem with it? And they say this is a problem. Then they go back and they create a new one. They go back to the to to the publisher and say, ah, sorry, we we don't have time or uh, the budget for you. And they go to the next one, and that that publisher says, no, uh, this is a really bad idea because you shouldn't do this. And they go back, okay, what is the problem? And they go back to a project, do some rework, and go. So this cycle just continues on and on, which basically just says that you're, you're, you're um, adding features to the game, which you initially didn't really set out to do. Yeah. yeah. And all of a sudden, you have a mishmash of a lot of uh, mechanics, a lot of dynamics that don't work together, and you, your game just runs out of... Uh, features basically you just you, you never get to the goal to a goal state yeah, uh, yeah. so the second one the third one is the one uh, that i really want to be with <laughs> uh, those <laughs> who listen to to the publisher will say that this is the problem with it and they say okay sure go back to the project check out how can you add to the game without removing the core of the game how how do you add the feedback that you got from the publishers without actually hurting the, the design uh, philosophy that you have. So that's why I think the MDA framework is really good, because if you have it in place in the beginning, you can just, you have a solid framework to lean on. You yeah. have something that you can say to developer, hey, this is the core of my game. And sure, if you want to add something else, no problem. We can add a new character, and that character could probably do the things that you uh, that you request, or this could be a mini boss, or this could be a mini game within the game, or we can add a new game mode. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, but then I, I guess so. Feedback from publishers is important, and and as you said, and that's that's also very good tips. That I mean, aesthetics and and graphics are not the most important for a publisher because I guess they can they can spot potential within the game. They can say, well, exactly. you know, this looks like crap, but it doesn't matter because it's fun to play or, you know, these mechanics are very interesting or these characters are very interesting. The storyline is very interesting, whatever. It doesn't really matter because you can yeah, always exactly. make a game more aesthetically pleasing, especially with the game engines we have today. I mean, it doesn't really matter. You can change assets. You can change whatever you want to change um to make it Pretty even yeah, yeah exactly. you, you can make it graphically like super 
but if the core of the game isn't there and and it's not fun to play it doesn't really matter because we all played games that looked very very nice graphically but you know they felt like stiff and not certain not dynamic and you know so there was something missing for from the game you can't really say what it was but you know it, it wasn't it wasn't as fun as other games with yeah, lower many times graphics. people say it's, it's really straightforward i mean the, the game was straightforward you can do this you could do that and that was it i mean as a player you want to have room for improvement and you want to be able to express or experience the game in such a way that you can when you look back where you started, you feel like, hey, wow, I've I've been I'm becoming more and more invested in the game, or yeah. I've become better at this, or I have better reflexes. I have I know uh, this faction is the the bad one, so you're not supposed to be taking that faction or uh, so yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 it's it's um it's very, very important that you don't think too much of of these graphics just you know try to try to have a, a like you said before a core of the game uh so so it doesn't get confusing when publishers cuz i mean publishers will always ask for stuff i guess i mean there's there's not the going to be the more stuff you have the more stuff you have the better they the better chance of landing that particular contract with the publisher yeah, yeah. So. Because the more information they have on the game and what it's supposed to look like or supposed to work, then they know they can like extrapolate from that content into two or three years in the future and see that okay, we see there's a rise in MOBA games, which was basically the the, the thing uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, yeah. And they found that okay, so if you if you take this, you add a couple of years to it, does it sell? It yeah. always comes back to how much money can they make? Because the, the publisher is basically your partner. It's not really someone who works against you. It's really someone who's a partner. And they want to make money off of your game as much as you want to make money off of your game. Yeah. So yeah. they are going to invest a lot of their, uh, their resources into the game, marketing, uh, localization, and those things. That's the thing that that the publisher can do and can probably do really well. And if they can't, they have contacts. Yeah. They have a huge network that they can provide you with. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's the purpose of you going, you as a solo developer or, or a team of developers, indie developers, whatever. That's the purpose of going to a publisher is that you want a partner that can invest in you and can promote you and use their unique contacts to promote you within their you know contact sphere or whatever and uh, i mean of course they want to make money off of you because you know why invest if it's an investment the the word investment actually means that you get something back right yeah exactly. so you're making and an there, investment there's a there are different kinds of contracts there i mean you can uh, there are some publishers who give you money up front some publishers who give you money throughout the development cycles a couple of times um and they they require your they require the money to get back to them say fivefold or one and a half fifty percent extra or whatever it depends on the publisher and and the 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 publisher's size yeah yeah and and I guess I mean I usually think like this if you get their fantasy going 
you've already sold your idea without them knowing to be honest it's it's like uh, yeah. if they start imagining the potential of your potential of your game then you're you're there basically yeah the, one of the things that i find many developers lacking are actually reaching out to a publisher yeah and one of the things that i really had the problem with in the beginning was i was thinking too little of myself and i think many developers do that i mean i would nowadays i'm talking to nintendo i'm talking to uh, sega to uh, people at dice people at uh, ghost La ghost games or whatever they're called down in gothenburg mm -hmm. um and you know when you start off you think that hey i'm just one guy right but when you go off to a lot of uh, conferences and people should really go attend to conferences uh, you realize that, hey, there are a lot of people that really don't care if you're one uh, person or if you're 10 or 30. And most of the small studios are basically in the range of 5 to 10 people, right? Yeah, true. Uh, so being one guy really is just 20% of that. Yeah, but I think, you know, it's it's very easy because you're sitting there with, with your game that maybe doesn't look that aesthetically pleasing. It's not so that complicated. And you're thinking, well, you know these big publishers why why would they ever even talk to me because i'm i'm like you said i'm one guy i made this with some free assets it's a fun game to play but you know it's it's just yeah they're they're probably gonna say no so then they back off right because it's very easy yeah. to to do that and self-confidence as you said it's like you don't think that you've done a good job because it's not because you know people there are so many games out there and the big games the triple a games are so complex nowadays and you know they have this complex uh, complex graphics and ai and complex story and you know all these things so if you compare your game to those games it's like well you know it's not going to hold hold up to to those games and and then it's very easy to just say well Okay, I'll work. I'll, I'll work on it some more, and then maybe in the future I'll, I'll contact some publishers. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. And I mean, everyone has been there. But the 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 core essence of this is just reach out. You're gonna make mistakes anyway, so why not just make them now? Where you when your game is in just the concept or uh, initial phase of your game, it's better to reach out early. By the way. Uh, it's better to do it while you are in early development, maybe as soon as you have the uh, uh, playable version of it. Because the longer it goes, the, the harder it is for the, for the publisher to invest time into getting a, a community around your game. Because you want to have a, a core, core audience. You want to have a small or preferably a big community around the game people who are seeing that hey this game will be out in two years or one and a half year and start to get the word out because yeah. the the sooner you do it the larger the community will be and the more people will buy your game when it's actually getting released yeah yeah there are a lot of games out there that are in uh, in early access right and yeah, yeah. i really hate the term early access because they never tell you how how long the game is <laughs> yeah, supposed yeah, to be in early access, right? So yeah. you can have basically a beta game <laughs> until the game just cancels or ends or people just stop playing it. Yep, true. 
so it's really just a term that I really don't like. But it's one way for a developer to get uh, people buying their games while they're still developing it, right? Yeah. And so, yeah, I do get the idea of it, but I just don't like the term. Yeah, true. But I mean, and and this being early, it's there. There are two things. I mean, one, like you said, the community and getting people interested. That takes time to build. It doesn't go overnight. Yeah. It's not like no, you exactly. know, uh, I'm I'm gonna release tomorrow, and you tell people today. I mean, how even even with the best publisher and promotions ever, you're not gonna reach enough people. So you, you need time. You need just to spread the word. And the second thing is. In early stages, you're very flexible and it's very easy to change stuff. Because if you go with a finished product, so you, let's say you made a game and you spend five years on it, and you know you you hired people, you you put put down your own money, and and then you show a publisher, well, this is my finished product. It's like, but yeah, but we want you to change this. No, it's not possible because it's a finished product, <laughs> right? So it's yeah. it's like you're not flexible. You're as you're going more and more and, and get more and more invested in the production of something, I mean, this isn't only only games, it's it's anything. Um, you're gonna arrive at a finished product, but along the way, you you need feedback and you need to to change stuff. If you've if you've done it without it, then then you're gonna go to someone and they're gonna say, well, you know, it's it looks nice, but we don't believe in it or we don't see the thing or whatever and then it's too late to change in early early stages you're you're you know receiving feedback and it's very easy to change because you haven't done that much you're just presenting a concept maybe something playable like you said um and then it's it's very very easy to make the changes required for them and then you know come back to them and say well this is this is a new concept that i that i made based on your things what do you think now and if they say yes then you can continue um, yeah, true. There's that is true to some extent. Uh, I mean, you don't have to. Uh, I mean, if you have a finished product, basically, and you go to a publisher, it's basically saying to them that, "Hey, we just want you to market this game, or uh, we want you to help us with porting the game to different consoles or whatever." I mean, if you go on early, then you can set the the contract in place, which benefits you guys probably more. Um, it's basically more a 50-50 kind of a split. Uh, if you go early on, if you go later, then you just say that we just want these services from you publishers, um, which basically tells them that, hey, you can make much money off of us because the we're already finished with the game. You don't have to invest in us. You just have to invest in, in the marketing or the localization or yeah. uh, the porting, etc. So that is one, one reason why you would go later on. But like I said, the having going there later makes things harder to change. But also, you need to build the community around the game. If you can do that on yourself, then that's all the better, um, because then you don't need to publish for it. However, publishers pro are probably better at community management than you are. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, unless you're a really good community manager, then by all means. Yeah, and uh, I can I just mean, say from experience, I'm really bad at it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's it's also a time thing because you want to you yeah. know you want to focus on creating your game, not building a community. Maybe exactly. firsthand, uh, there are a lot of problems and issues that you have to deal with to to get for to to come for, go forward with your game. So you want to focus on that, especially. I mean, if you're alone, 
there are yeah, just exactly. a set amount of things you can do during one one day and it, let's say i mean if you're a if you're a game developer that you know has a daytime job to support the game developing because you're not many making any money off of it then it's you know it's hard to to work a job uh create create your game and also manage a community is just too much um, yeah exactly and especially community management really takes up a lot of time because you need to answer people you need to think through how you're how you want to answer people and especially if you have a forum or uh, a reddit thread or whatever there are a lot of comment, uh, comments out there and sometimes you don't want to answer them or just say thank you but many many times you want to go through and give them the reason why you took some of the uh decision decisions uh why did you say why did you let the character become evil throughout the game or yeah. you know, whatever so yeah. what is the actual reasoning behind it um and many times if you have uh, a community that is invested in the game they can add content to your game right so yeah. one of the things that i've done uh, i've tried out with a couple of people i really didn't go public with it uh, was i wanted to have i wanted to get input in as to what kind of a character uh, they want to have in the game so i went i created a small competition and i said that hey, hey you have seen this uh, Give me a reason, give me a character, either art style or story-wise or mechanic-wise, and maybe that character will get into the game. So already there, you're motivating people, motivating the community to get uh, invested in the game yeah. by saying that, hey, if this character actually got into the game, hey, look, this is the character I, that I created, right? And yeah. they get like a small star. Uh, over themselves basically <laughs> yeah yeah but it's so it's up. nice i mean you're engaging people in the game development and they feel that they can impact game development as well which exactly. is important and and they spread they spread the word word and all that and uh, as you said it's not it's not easy to manage a community around it and it's it's not easy to do all these things because i know even for our podcast we have our instagram we have our twitter and making it grow requires to be active and to find new sources of um i usually post uh, or we usually post links for for different game developing tips and tricks and latest in game developing and all that so you you need to do some research and all that and and it's the same with managing a community you have to answer people you have to make them feel engaged because i mean nobody's gonna join a community if they're if there's no feedback from you as the developer or somebody else uh, representing the game, because they won't feel they, they they're just gonna feel neglected. So yeah, so, I mean you're probably getting bad reviews because of it. Exactly. Yeah, interaction yeah. is very very important in the community, and that takes a yeah. lot of time. So if you're exactly. alone, I mean, if you're several people, then maybe. But you know, if you're in the developing team of the game, you. you might just want to focus on whatever you're doing if you're an artist or if you're a programmer you have enough enough things to do there uh if you're not getting an explicit community manager from yeah. in your team then it, it's it's a different thing but yeah. yeah there i mean there's also there's you should always remember that hopefully you're doing this as a business i mean 
even if you're just creating a game that you're going to sell as, or maybe just put out there as free, you need to th come, you need to have the, the, the point of view of a business developer. You need to know how you're supposed to talk to investors or how are you talking to a uh, community, how you're talking to developers, uh, going to conferences, etc. You need to think in terms of business. Uh, and if you do that, then you start off thinking about economy, right? How is how's your how are you supposed to sell your game? Even if it's free, the game development part is not free because you develop either using cost in terms of time, but also uh, in terms of actual money. I mean, you, if you if you can't do three D modeling, you're probably going to to add or buy assets, or you're going to hire a, a freelancer or a studio, yeah, uh, which I did in my case, and that costs uh, money, but also time in terms of guiding guidance and uh, requirements, etc. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. in terms of business, you also need to envision yourself five years in the future or three years in the future. If you're developing this game right now, how will it sell in in a couple of years' time? Because you're not creating it uh, that you, uh, super fast. Well, there are some hyper casual games that you can, they people just spit them out basically. Yeah, they yeah. they just create a hundred of them. And uh, just do a shotgun, basically, uh, and see what sticks. Yeah. Uh, but that is really not the use usual case. Most of the time, you need to envision yourself the game when it is finished, months or years from now. And during that time, how do you how do you cope with the expenses? Do you have all the resources that the that you need? And also, what will the game actually sell? After yeah. those two years, yeah, that's and also a when you do very sell, good point. Uh, thank you. But also when you do sell, you need to think in terms of maths, right? And there's a curve. Most of the games basically have a huge spike in the beginning, over a couple of days or maybe a week or month, and then they just die off basically mm -hmm. until you do have uh, some kind of. Uh, what is it called? Uh, cut, price or cut. like yeah, price cut. Thank you. Yeah, uh, thirty percent, fifteen percent, or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and all of a sudden, you have this uh, spike, and then it dies off again. And you need to think in those terms. And when you when you do that, how much money do you actually get back from it? And yeah. you need to think of okay, if I have a publisher that does it for me, tenfold that or whatever. Uh, you need to think in in those terms. And that is something that game developers many times uh, have a hard time doing because this is a passion project for them. This is something that they've been thinking of in for like forever, and this is what something that I want to create. But say that you do sell and you have a super great number of sales, what do you do with it? Yeah, etc. Yeah. So, so think in those terms. That is basically the going from the concept to a finished project but also afterwards what happens after you have a finished product yeah because you as a person or a business own something that you can that has value now and every character or every asset that you have in the in the game is owned by you 
and depending on if you if your franchise or game can it turns out to be super great that franchise has value now imagine super mario i don't i really have a like super doubt that this will actually happen but if nintendo would sell super mario the character that character would probably be sold for billions of dollars because yeah, yeah. of the the actual value yeah. that the the character has yeah definitely yeah it's the same thing with zelda yeah yeah exactly zelda mario you have f-zero uh yeah you have i mean Pokemon. they they just they just create value all the time right? exactly they, that's what and that do. is owned by the by the company yeah now what would happen if you uh quit your company and started off with this uh, with this business of yours which has this huge monetary value uh in terms of assets of course you need to have uh legal stuff in place uh because if you don't then someone else is probably going to copy you and if you don't have that in place then uh well good luck yeah yeah no it's true i mean those doors are very very good uh good thoughts and i i uh yeah it's it's great to it's great to um tell people tell game developers that you know it's not only the time you're creating your game but also the time after that and how it will continue and evolve and and um just so they think in in terms of i'm gonna create something of potential very great value if it's a very popular game and those things i own and what do i do with them in the future so yeah yeah. exactly and i mean this is just one way to look at it uh, I mean, if you have, if you are a project manager or business uh, owner, you probably know about SWOT analysis. Uh, that is, what is the strength of your of your project? What is the weakness of your project? Where is the opportunity of your project? And, yeah. and what is the uh, uh, what is the last one? Uh, I can't really remember one. It's too late in the evening. <laughs> <laughs> um, opportunity and yeah, well, just look it up. Google it. SWOT analysis. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I do every time I do. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, if you have those in place, you can actually go to the uh, to the publisher and say, "Hey, this is uh, this is my the game. This is uh, what the game looks like. These are the dynamics. These are mechanics. Uh, this is the budget for it because of the cost." Uh, and these are the strengths of the game. These are the weaknesses of the game. These are our competitors that. Kind of similar. Oh yeah, threats is the is the last one. The T. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is uh, we we've seen these things in other games that they lack that we try to uh, that we see as an opportunity here. Uh, and these are the threats, the the competitors that we think that uh, could pro- possibly do us harm. Yeah, yeah. If, I you guess that... if you have all of those in place, the the publishers will probably basically love you. Yeah, exactly. Because because then you've done your homework when you come yeah. to them, so they can see that okay, this guy is serious. He's know what he's doing. Or this girl, sorry. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so this person is is serious. They know what they're doing. They they have a plan. So this is something for us. And especially if the game is good, then it's gonna increase your chances tenfold. Then exactly. All right. And cool. even if you go if you go without a publisher, just realize that your success is will probably be limited yeah exactly yeah well we're past the hour mark by seven minutes i just noticed 
but it was a good talk. I mean, uh, I hope that uh, people will listen to this and I, I hope that uh, they learn something. And, and uh, those were really, really good, uh, good tips from you, uh, Juice. I, Thank I, you. I, it was very, very nice to listen to them as well and, and yeah, hear the insights. My pleasure. All right. Actually, it's always good to talk about them. I yeah, mean, yeah. Refresh yeah, my own memory. So <laughs> exactly, yeah. And it was interesting for me uh, that doesn't have that uh, insight uh, to to know about it. It was very, very nice to listen to. Okay. All right. Thanks for listening, guys, and hope you enjoyed it. Yeah. See you next time. Yeah. Bye, bye. <laughs>